This is deeply personal and unlike something you've done before. What a different experience. Really different. Yeah, it was. Did you maybe not want to do it, it because was, of that? It was the biggest, it was the hardest story I've ever done. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is Wisconsin's Morning News. Here's your host, Vince Petrano. 8.13 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Breaking sports news. More breaking sports <laughs> news. Perhaps inspired by the Milwaukee Bucks' decisive action. I don't know. I don't want to speak for him. But Brandon Snyde is in the house. Says the Green Bay Packers have apparently fired defensive coordinator Joe Barry. Joe Barry is out. This is according to Tom Pelissaro. Uh, Joe Barry not returning as the Packers' defensive coordinator after three seasons. So a new defensive coordinator in Green Bay on its way. And you could kind of tell when LaFleur addressed the media on Monday Last year, there was a big difference in, in how he approached it. He basically said that he wanted his defensive coordinator and his coaches to come back. This year was, we'll wait and see. Two days later. Red flag. Two days later, <laughs> Joe Barry is out in Green Bay. So a new shot caller on the defensive side of the ball in Green Bay for 2024. A couple things to get to on this. First of all, uh, on the timing, what I what we did hear from Coach LaFleur directly the other day was, I believe, something to the effect of, I haven't even begun thinking about that yet, which well, and you don't believe him. Maybe you haven't. Th- <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe Today. you haven't sat so, down with everybody, but the, you've been thinking about it for weeks and to, months. To piggyback off of Eric's point about the red flag, the first red flag should have been after that Carolina game where they almost came back. The Panthers. Keep in mind, they still have not scored since that game against the Packers. Um, he said after that game that he's going to be more involved in the defensive meetings, the defensive play calling. That was probably indicative right there that eh, and outside of maybe a Super Bowl run, maybe an NFC Championship game appearance, that would have likely have maybe have saved Joe Barry's job, but nonetheless, a, a unit. I, I mentioned an extra points, I think it was yesterday, eight first-rounders since 2016. They've invested heavily in the defensive side of the ball. Kenny Clark, Dre Campbell, big contracts. Jerry Alexander, the highest-paid cornerback in the NFL. These are big deals, and this is a team and, and a unit that needs to perform better and has simply not since uh, since Barry came in uh, a couple years ago. All right, thanks for uh, coming in. Uh, Brandon Snyde on the breaking news. The Packers reportedly firing Joe Barry, their defensive coordinator. All right, back to work now. <laughs> Something like that. Snyde's got a lot to do now. 8.15 on Wisconsin's Morning News. You know, we have a fascination. That we, and maybe it's more dudes than than otherwise, but, like, name me a guy who doesn't love The Godfather, Goodfellas, Casino, Tony Soprano, okay? (laughs) Like, I don't know what it is, but we are, like, obsessed or or enjoy those films about the mafia, the mob, romanticized by Hollywood, right? But it gets super real in this awesome piece in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel by investigative journalist Mary Spicuza. It's called, My Cousin Was Killed by a Car Bomb in Milwaukee. A mob boss was the top suspect. Now I'm looking for answers. And Mary is in studio with us this morning. Thanks, Mary, for coming. Thanks for having me. And for bringing the Stratinos. Of course. (laughs) You know, you don't have to do that. We had Bice on the other day. He didn't bring us anything. (laughs) Hey, I'm a nice... Dietrich's been in the house. Nothing from him. I'm Sicilian. I feel like I have to have food, you know? Very nice. (laughs) Me too and much appreciated. So, you know, before I get into the whole story, I did want to ask you about this because this is obviously a deeply personal story for you. Now what I do every day here with Eric is we talk a lot about personal anecdotes or, or things like that that's new to me in radio. But for 25 years in TV, you know, it didn't report about myself. I once did a story about my cousin who ultimately died from ALS when he was still alive, and that was at the height of the Ice Bucket Challenge and, and, and all of that. But 
That was like the one time where I stepped out and did a story that was kind of about me. This is deeply personal and unlike something you've done before. What a different experience. Really different. Yeah, it was. Did you maybe not want to do it, it was, because of that? It was the biggest, it was the hardest story I've ever done for a lot of reasons. And there were a lot of discussions in the newsroom about how much I should be in it. I said, you know, ethically, obviously, I have to disclose that this is my cousin. It would be unethical not to. But um, I really didn't want to be in every chapter or um, be like this main character in it. I just, I feel like there's so many interesting people in the story. Um, my cousin, his friend Vince, the satin doll, um, people who I was like, hey, I'm boring in comparison to these folks. So I'd rather, <laughs> you know, it's, and as a journalist, you're really trained that you're not the story. Yes, right. And, um, so it was a struggle. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Well, I'll tell you, as a, as a reader, it felt like the right say, amount of you. That's what I was going to say. I, I thought you, you wove yourself in very, very, it was very clean. It was easy yeah. to read. I thought it was a remarkable piece. Just start, And I'm not saying that because you're sitting here. We said that before you got here. <laughs> or because you brought the cookies. <laughs> well, the cookies help. But no, uh, I'm not going to lie. About a, Probably about a week before the story published, I was in the newsroom on the weekend trying to fact check from mounds and mounds of documents. And I was sitting there thinking, maybe I could just call my editor and tell her we should just spike the story. And like, what would their reaction be? And I then I thought, no, they would probably kill me if I yeah, tried to spike the story. Right, right. Put a little bit of time into yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, but I, it was, uh, no, it was the hardest story I've ever done. And um, I, a lot of sleepless nights. And typically I was up often between like 2 to 5 a.m. stewing, haunting the halls, worrying about how, my family was going to react, how other people in the community was going to, were going to react. So, yeah, it was, it was not easy. <laughs> back up and fill folks in. We're talking with Mary Spacuza at the Monkey Journal Sentinel. Her piece is about her cousin who was um, uh, your cousin, Augie, whom you didn't know, right, was killed in a car bombing, widely believed to be directed by then Milwaukee mobster Frank Balistrieri. And so that's what the piece is about. You can find it online. It's a fascinating read. I gave it to my 16-year-old son, and he ripped through it in front of me like he was <laughs> gripped by it. But before we get more into that, one other thing that I wanted to ask you about, because we we share a Sicilian heritage. I'm as much Polish as I am Sicilian. But when your last name, when people call you Vinny, really? you know, when your last name ends in a vowel, you know, pretty much you're Sicilian. Yeah. But there is, I don't know how to phrase this to you, like there is sort of a fascination and almost kind of like a, a little bit of pride. And I mean that like. In a twisted way, like I've examined that in me, like what would I be proud of? And what your story did here was made this so deeply personal, like real people got murdered on the streets of Milwaukee because of the mafia. And as much as Hollywood wants to romanticize it, like what is that about in us? Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I never saw The Godfather until I was maybe 30 and I was going to report in Sicily and so many people kept saying, you know, like that scene in The Godfather. And I was like, I don't because <laughs> I took it so literally when my dad told me to, you know, don't fall in with the wrong crowd. I didn't see like I, I was kind of this novice where the mafia movies and this whole mafia genre was really like um foreign to me because I just took it very seriously to stay away from that whole scene. And um, so I did not grow up with that romantic ro romanticizing the sure. mafia. Mm -hmm. I think I was scared of them, like deeply scared. We don't talk about Bruno. We don't right? talk Sing about it. We just don't talk about it. And um, and I think you know, and you've probably, if you've ever been to a 
a family reunion on the Sicilian side, there are so many storytellers and, you know, my uncle John and the uncles would gather around and tell stories, but not a word about Augie. And so it was like the one thing I could never ask about. But I, I, it is definitely true that it's romanticized. I think people talk about the mafia as like these men of honor or these kind of Robin Hoods or people would look out for yeah, other mostly Sicilians. mostly good. They did some bad <laughs> yeah. stuff. Mostly but, they're okay guys. Yeah, it's interesting because when you look at a lot of the victims believed to have been murdered by um, organized crime or La Cosa Nostra or the mafia or the outfit or whatever term you're using, it was a lot of Sicilians and Italians who were victims of these crimes. Well, what I didn't, I, I fully admit, like, you know, living in Milwaukee now for a few decades, like the Balistrieri name, like that always kind of popped up, right? And you always kind of knew that. And I I would imagine that there's a generation below mine that has no idea or didn't realize, like, just the enormity, the size of it. Was there anything, like, as you went through this, where you're like, no kidding, like, just uh, picked up some of the myth that became even larger than you even realized? Yeah, I think what, what kind of stunned me um, beyond just, you know, obviously there are um, wonderful stories about my cousin, which was really great to hear because I didn't, we didn't talk about him. Um, and so just hearing about what a kind, generous person he was. But I will say in the FBI reports, um, some of them were quite heavily redacted and they would say that um, Frank Balistrieri had connections at the police department and it was known that blank would um, give him information from police reports or blank would help get licenses or he was seen at city hall talking to blank blank and blank and i was like oh who's that and you're like fill in some of those blanks please if yeah, we could right? yeah i'd like to fill in the blanks there are a lot of blanks here so i think just um you know obviously for a long time there was this perception that milwaukee was you know the anti-chicago we didn't have corruption here we didn't have organized crime here we were like too good of a city for that and you know, don't get me wrong. I love Milwaukee. It's a wonderful city, but it was not about some corruption, apparently. Sure. Mm-hmm. There's so much else we want to ask you. Can you hang for one one break? Let of me take course. a quick break here at 822, and we'll be back with more from investigative journalist, reporter for the Milwaukee Journal, Sentinel, Mary Spicuza. That's next. Things are okay with me these days. I got a good job. I got a good office. I got a new wife. 826 on Wisconsin's Morning News. In studio with us is investigative reporter Mary Spacuza for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Her recent piece about her cousin Augie, who was killed in a car bombing in Milwaukee, widely believed to have been directed by a Milwaukee mob boss at the time. Hey, tell, tell us real quick before we get into a couple other follow-ups, Mary, a, a little bit more about Augie. What was it that he was doing that, that caused him disfavor in the eyes of perhaps Frank Balistrieri or others? There are different theories. Um, he was a tavern owner. He was a produce vendor. He also was um, involved in gambling and was apparently really kind of grew his gambling and bookmaking operation. And it sounds like he was quite successful. And I think um, at a certain point, um, it's believed that Frank Balistrieri decided that everyone who was bookmaking in Milwaukee needed to give a cut of uh, their profits yeah, to some of that. organized crime. And um it's believed that he refused um, and and didn't want to give a, a cut. I don't know if it was twenty percent or thirty percent. That's a little d- different in the FBI reports. Um, supposedly, there was also bad blood um, dating back to um, a marriage where a Balistrieri and a Palmazano got married, and that kind of festered. There was an argument over a shared relative at one point, and whether he would bartend for Augie or 
work for his other uncle. So I think um, there are a lot of things like, going on. These movies, but I know I cracked see, on them for romanticize, but they're pretty accurate in some ways. It's also um, <laughs> it's also believed that um, Augie called Frank Balistrieri a name to his face, and there was a very chilling quote um, that Frank. Uh, reportedly said to undercover agent at Snugs, um, where he said he called me a name to my face, and now they can't find his skin, and said he was arrogant. Um, he also was apparently very critical of uh, attempted car bombing of his best friend about ten months before, and apparently openly criticized um, the attempt on his friend's life. And that was the one where he couldn't drive very fast with the car, right? Like he c- couldn't push the accelerator, and then they found this package. Yeah, right there in the in the hood of the car. A huge yeah. package yeah. with like twenty sticks of dynamite and a booster, <laughs> and he pulled over. I think right on, I believe it was right on Van Buren at his mechanics on the east side here. So, and uh, they opened the hood and saw like this gray package with wires coming out of it, and uh, the mechanic called the police while uh, Augie's friend ran for his life and was picked up. He was picked up by the FBI agents who were actually trailing him because they thought there would be an attempt on his life, but I think they thought it would be more of a shooting attempt. So they knew that somebody kind of wanted him dead, but I don't think they expected that. Yeah. So what happens, a couple of story or questions I have about the piece, which is remarkable. You can find it on JS, uh, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, I should say. Um, what's the reaction been? Who have you heard from? Like, I assume that this has gotten some attention. It has. I've actually been pretty um, overwhelmed, and it's been really um, encouraging, actually, the amount of people who have taken the time to write emails or call or send me messages on Twitter or Facebook, and just really thoughtful, uh, kind people who either knew Augie or got Italian sausages at his tavern or um, knew him. He was kind to someone as a child after their father died and surprised them with a Christmas tree right before Christmas and um, or just really encouraging words or just um, kind words for the piece. So it's nice. I'm trying to write back to everybody or respond to everybody or call everybody back. And uh, so if anybody's written to me, I'm going to get to you. But uh, it's it's been really encouraging. I think as a journalist, sometimes you kind of get used to some hate mail or people who aren't oh, happy yeah. with you. You've maybe gotten those. Um, no, no, you're <laughs> Very popular show. No one has totally any complaints. Awesome. Yeah, so it has been just really, um, I think, really encouraging for the just for the kind feedback. Where are you going with this next, Mary? Well, um, we did actually do um, broadcast quality. Um, I was not the one doing the recordings, um, but we did a lot of actually audio recordings of our interviews, some video, but mainly audio. And we're working on a podcast. Um, hopefully, <laughs> my my coworker will kill me if we don't do it. But um, just and it, there's just so much that we couldn't fit into the piece. For example, um, when Augie Maniachi was was killed on the east side. Um, there was actually a newspaper delivery boy who witnessed the murder and um, the FBI agents uh, put him under hypnosis and he gave a perfect description of a hitman from Chicago. Um, so they were very close to catching some of these murderers. I, I'm going to call them murderers, these hitmen who were hired guns for organized crime. So some of those stories that it was just it's once you, you don't want the feast to get so long that nobody can get through it, you know, so we had to cut a lot. So hopefully a podcast. Well, the one thing I should mention is that many people argue that Godfather 2 is better than Godfather. So the expectation. There you go. Yes. <laughs> you have to elevate been here. Raised. So you're saying I should watch Godfather 2 then? I've... I think you have to now. Okay. Okay.
I gave Godfather gave me nightmares when I finally watched it, and it just made me very. I had this nightmare that I was like this mafia lackey, and it was like kill or be killed. I just don't have a very romantic right. notion of those guys. Well, so. and bringing it back to my original point, I think that's it was. It's important work for that reason, especially as it hits home here in Milwaukee. Yeah, the films are great, and they got some funny lines and, and all of that, but this is real, and here's a person sitting right in front of me who is deeply affected by this, your family, and what you've lived with. And at the end of all of this, we still don't know exactly what happened to Augie. Yeah, we've we've gotten pretty close, and I am waiting on some FBI records about where Nick Montos was in 1977 and 1978. Um, it does sound like they were pretty close. They actually had him in custody multiple times. He was kind of an escape artist. Um, I, I will say I was reading some stories about when he was finally arrested in 78 when he tried to rob um, a Jewish shop owner and called her an anti-Semitic slur and tied her up. She was able to escape and apparently kept a um, baseball bat and was able to really beat him up pretty badly before he was sent to prison. And I think the prosecutor's quote was, hell hath no fury like a Holocaust survivor with a Louisville slugger. <laughs> so regardless of whether he actually placed the bomb, it, it does sound like he was um, certainly involved in at least Vince's attempted bombing. Um, but yeah, so hopefully we'll get some more answers soon. Well, for uh, many reasons, great to see yeah, you. Yeah, we really yeah. appreciate it. It's wonderful work. It's up on JS Online, uh, and uh, last name is spelled S P I C U Z Z A Spicuza. Just look it up there, and uh, really appreciate seeing you. And hey. thanks for the treats as well from Chitinos. <laughs> Thank you. Eat some cookies. Leave the gun, take the cannoli. Eight thirty three on Wisconsin's Morning News. Twenty minutes before nine o'clock. Lot to get Hughes still here. At this time, I introduce to you the governor of the great state of Wisconsin, the Honorable Tony Evers. Governor Tony Evers delivered his annual State of the State address. Few attempts at humor, as always, from the governor. Some land better than others. No, I didn't see. I asked one of the four legislators that uh, were coming down with me to one of them to do a somersault. Did anybody do that? No? (laughs) Darn darn it. Next year. Anyway, good evening, Wisconsinites. (laughs) I, like I don't know what that means. Right? I like how he gets So anyway, <laughs> the next 40 minutes of my speech. Some result. <laughs> yeah. I guess primary takeaways, Governor Evers touting the state's strong fiscal position. A little bit of debate over what to do about that. Record budget surplus. Wisconsin, I begin the night with even better news. As we enter 2024, our state has never been in a better fiscal position than we are today. Better than last year, better than when I took office, and better than any year in Wisconsin, 176 years of statehood. The debate this morning is what to do with it. We're still sitting on a mountain of cash. Governor wants to spend it. Republicans are talking about sending it back. So this whole, like, we should be refunding, I think Senator Lemahieu, the majority leader in the state Senate, uh, indicated in his response, like, we should be giving this back to the taxpayers, meaning one of these things happened once in our lifetime, if not more, where we got a check back from the state. I feel like, didn't W do that once, too, on the federal level? And it's been proposed, right? You know, like, well, we have this surplus. The surplus is people, quote-unquote, overpaid in their taxes, and therefore it goes back to the people. I don't know. Let folks debate that. But that's how the debate is going to shape up now with the, what do you call it, the mountain? The Scrooge oh, McDuck? Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the coin pool. The coin pool with they all swim guys in. in Madison swimming around the <laughs> stack of coins. Wearing yeah. sunglasses, floating around in the coin pool. <laughs> so it's still there. Governor did spend a good amount of time, about 40 minutes or so in the address uh, was the, the full length, 
talking about workforce challenges, has several proposals on a number of fronts, child care crisis, which is what he's calling it, expanding paid family leave, continued investment in public education. I thought this was his strongest moment in the speech. And the governor, no one would accuse him of being the most gifted public speaker. He, I wish he delivered it strongly. But uh, here, here's the message that, that resonated with me. I've introduced a comprehensive workforce plan twice. Anyone on either side of the aisle has a better plan than mine that not only prevents the collapse of our state's child care industry, but also helps us complete, compete against our neighboring states for talent and invests in public education at every level to prepare our kids for the future. Let's hear it. I will work with any legislator, any partner, any stakeholder who's willing to engage in meaningful conversations on these issues to do the right thing for Wisconsin. So I appreciate that. He's like, look, this is my plan. I've laid this out twice. You didn't like it. Okay, what it, What do you got mm. from any corner, whatever? And I'm sure there are some in the state legislature that roll their eyes at that saying, mm, I don't know, you're not as collaborative as you'd like lead people to believe. But nonetheless, he's saying, you got a better plan than me? Bring it right. forward. Let's talk about it. So I appreciate at least that he opened the door to that. Jazz as hell. Just, were there any jazz as hell or uh, potential? I mean, I, you know what? You I know, know what, what you're soundbite asking. I'm asking for here. Where, where right. was it? Or... Do you want to talk about infrastructure? <laughs> yes. Yes. Specifically construction projects. Mm-hmm. Did okay. he fix anything? Yeah, he did. So you're darn right. We've been fixing the damn roads. <laughs> <laughs> did you hear the pause from the assembly and senate? <laughs> like, like a little. <laughs> so you're darn right. We've been fixing the damn roads. Uh, are we laughing? Are we clapping? Or what is supposed to happen here? I swear he's trolling us. I swear. Somebody over there is listening to this show. <laughs> right. So on to 2024 in Madison. Great Wisconsin tradition to close the address, which we'll go out with. But I want to tell you first, coming up next, Eric spent some time with the president of the Universities of Wisconsin. We had a long list of things, including Porny McChancellor, to ask him about. <laughs> yes, and it was asked. We'll do that next. Let's get back at it. Let's get to work. Thank you. And on Wisconsin, UW Marching Band, take it away. Ten to nine on Wisconsin's morning news. So you did? Was it uh, Milwaukee Press Club at Newsmaker Luncheon? That's how you yeah. saw it. Yeah. So the uh, press wrong. club they do the Newsmaker Luncheons occasionally. It's pretty cool because yeah. oftentimes there's some powerful news being made at these things. And yesterday they had one with the uh, the UWD president Jay Rothman, who's been in the news off and on for <laughs> various things. Before even Porny McChancellor. Yeah, we'll get to Porny McChancellor here in no, a second. No, I want all Porny McChancellor. I, I wanted to bring you this, though, because you know that the DEI issue has been in the news, right? Yeah. And that Rothman was in the news uh, recently because he had basically figured out a deal with GOP leadership to get some of the things they wanted, like raises for employees and some money for some like building uh, b- being built. Um, but they had to basically cut some of the DEI funding in the budget there for that. And there's there was a, lot a of, compromise. Yes, there's a compromise. And uh, the regents voted on the deal and denied it, said, no, this is no good. We're not going to pass this deal to, that cuts DEI. And with that came an announcement. Apparently, a paper uh, reported a story with some quoted sources saying that basically Rothman said, hey, I'm going to quit 
if this doesn't pass, I'm going to have to resign. This is the hill yeah. I die yes, on. Yes, yes. Right. And they voted again, and it passed a few days later. So there's a lot of, you know, varying theories as to how it passed the second time. Uh, but he was asked about that um, from the paper, uh, the, the reporter who wrote that story. She asked him, okay, well, what's the deal with this whole resignation? Was, it a, was there a threat there or not? As the DEI deal came together during the negotiation process, um, three regions have told me you floated resigning if that deal failed. Were they mistaken? You know, Kelly, as much as I'd like to clarify that whole issue, um, that happened in closed session, and it would be inappropriate for me to, to say anything about what happened in a closed session. All right, so then I get, the, I get the microphone next. Here in this open session, would you want to resign or no? <laughs> <laughs> Great follow. <laughs> See, Eric, that was your question. Now it goes to Corey, I think, right? So there we go. You can elaborate if you want. So did you want? <laughs> Good for you, man. Right. So no, no, we're, we're moving on. Are we leaving it there? Right. So now I know what you're looking for. You yeah, want to get into it. Me. You want to get into a little uh, chancellor action. Oh, here we go. There he is. Here comes the marching band. Mm. <laughs> right. kind of All right, so Joe Gow, so the lacrosse chancellor, he's the one who lost his chancellorship, if that's a word, because he posted pornographic videos of he and his wife online. And Rothman clearly not happy about it. I think it was an utter failure of leadership. We expect our chancellors to be role models for our students and for their communities. Uh, and I think he failed in that uh, with what, what, what he was doing. So what I wanted to know is, okay, so when did you hear about this and how did that conversation go? And here, listen to what he said about that. We learned about this the week of December 18th. Um, and my immediate reaction was to ensure that we had our facts correct because this, this is a process. But once we, the facts were confirmed, in my mind, my recommendation to the Board of Regents was very clear. Yeah, and then they moved on from there. Yes, but from day one, we have wondered aloud on this year's program, so you heard you got a chancellor who's into porn. How did you get your facts correct? So did you hear? Right. Uh, yeah, he said that here. Did somebody sure watch it? that we had our facts correct. Yeah, so yeah. that I, my ears perked up when he said that. When he said we had to make sure our facts were correct. So I, I, I yeah, had, good I had yes. To ask him. How did you confirm it? I just said, and I mean that sincerely. Is that using a state computer and, and jumping on, or do you call HR? Like, how do you go about doing that? Uh, we asked the chancellor. We asked Al that question, and he confirmed it for us. As far as moving forward, he... And, and no, I did not go on a state computer, so, I, okay, okay, there we go. <laughs> so, he, I mean, he played along with me. I mean, he understood. And by the way, if he would have said, I, yes, I used my state computer to confirm, I would, it's not like I think that's a bad thing. I'm just curious, like, how do you go about something like this? And Somebody I, had to know for sure exactly what we're dealing and with. And I even right? told him that he was the only one in the room that has had to deal with something like that, I'm sure. Like, none of us have ever had to deal with a situation where we have an employee reporting to us who's posted porn videos. Okay, what, what's your first move, right? Okay, so now, basically what's happened with What happened this, to the music? Oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. All right, good. All right, so moving on with it. So now <laughs> he has suggested and he believes tenure should be reviewed at the university yeah, okay. level. So then ultimately it would go to the regions, but it's up to lacrosse to review his tenure and then remove that. So that would remove he and his wife from the faculty. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. 
Like that takes a lot of work. So what they've done is they have hired this independent law firm to look into this matter. And he was asked, okay, so when's that going to be taken care of? The charge that they have been given has been to to go through the process as, as quickly and as expeditiously as they can uh, with the understanding that we don't know where the facts will take them. You know, do I hope that that gets done uh, sometime this spring in terms of the investigation being done? Yes, uh, but we'll see where it takes us. It then goes to the faculty, uh, the chancellor and the faculty at La Crosse, and they have to go through their process. Uh, my goal is to, to come to a resolution one way or the other as quickly as we can, but respecting the process, because the process is absolutely critical in this so that we can do this in the right way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, Kelly Meyerhofer, uh, props there, the Journal Sentinel reporter, she's been all over this on, on her end, getting information from it. So she was the one that was poking yeah. him on. Like, okay, well, how, how quickly is this going to happen? So for now, nothing. He's hoping by spring they can get this moved forward where they would be able to remove Joe Gao from tenure. Solid panel, good questions. There's just one you didn't ask. How come he hadn't been on our show yet? I asked. How did you confirm it? WTMJ, W277-CV, and WKTI-HD2 Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station. WTMJ forecast sponsored by Dave Drake Camp Heating, where your comfort is their family's tradition. High 39 degrees today under foggy conditions with some scattered light rain. Low down to 34 tonight where that fog continues as we get more melt-off. You know nobody's a bigger critic of what we do than I am. We crushed this show today. Big show today. <laughs> you think so? So right. if you'd like to, if you missed any portion of it or just want to listen on your own terms, text Vince to WTMJ's talk and text line 855-616-1620, V-I-N-C-E. And we'll have Greg Hill, producer of the program, send you a link to our podcast page. You can listen at your leisure. Also, the breaking news that we passed along at the top of the hour, Green Bay Packers reportedly fired Defensive coordinator Joe Barry earlier today or last night. The news just coming out this morning. Those don't come in threes, do they? We have two firings now. Can that be it for a bit? Or somebody else going to get whacked? Certainly hope not. I can't. Never rooting for running someone through to a, be running terminated. through a quick list of who, who that would be. <laughs> I don't, don't know. Uh, we'll let Steve Scafidi tell it next. Business headlines first. Here's the Milwaukee Business Journal's Margaret Nachek. The White House in Bayview is going through a rebrand. Its name will remain with an events-only concept, and the historic space will include a new restaurant, Sage, that will debut in early February. Atlanta-based West Rock Company, a paper and packaging provider, is converting a former We Energy's power plant into an advanced corrugated converting facility in Pleasant Prairie. Aoi Sushi, a sushi franchise that started in Colorado, will open at the site of the former doghouse at 755 North Water Street. The restaurant plans to open this March. I'm Margaret Nachak with MilwaukeeBusinessJournal.com on News Radio WTMJ.